Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. Today, we are back talking about artificial intelligence, its opportunities, its possibilities, its pitfalls, and its problems. But before we do, uh, need to make sure to shout out to our sponsor, BAI, a leader in training and education for the financial services industry. If you haven't checked out any of their webinars, recent training content, definitely visit BAI.org. Thank you again, BAI, for all of your support and making today's episode possible. So this is not the first episode Tech on Reg has done about the ever-changing world of artificial intelligence, what it means for the world, how we're supposed to be regulating it, how we're supposed to be interacting with it. But recently, a range of regulatory changes and new hires from the Biden administration have actually signaled a more proactive stance by the federal government towards artificial intelligence, which is bringing the U.S. just a little bit closer to that of the European Union. While these developments may be promising, as is the inclusion of AI issues in the new EU-US Trade and Technology Council, there's lots of other steps that leading democracies are taking to build alignment and curtailing potential harms with artificial intelligence. Our guest today is Dr. Eric Daimler. Eric is an authority in the AI community with over 20 years of experience in the field. He currently leads MIT's first ever spin-out from its math department, and has co-founded six technology companies that have pioneered work in the fields, ranging from software systems to statistical arbitrage, which might be my new favorite phrase. I think I'm going to use the phrase statistical arbitrage every opportunity I get. Eric was also a Presidential Innovation Fellow during the Obama administration, helping drive the agenda for U.S. leadership in research, commercialization, and public adoption of AI. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So before we get really into the meat of today's discussion, Eric, I would love to hear a little bit more about your background and your most recent venture. Sure. I I guess people know me often from being an authority on AI during the Obama administration, but I I have spent my life uh, (laughs) around AI in different capacities. I, I, I may be the, I'm certainly one of the few, if not the only person that has exposure from AI from from these different perspectives of uh, entrepreneurship, finance uh, as a venture capitalist, to academia as a, as a researcher, uh, to policy uh, working in Washington, D.C. You know, that combination is... You're our AI unicorn. <laughs> That's right. That's what you are. Unicorn. You're our AI unicorn. <laughs> it, you know, it gives me a certain perspective, I think, <laughs> that, I, I hope, uh, w- that, that I hope to uh, use uh, to contribute to, uh, to to making this technology fulfill on its promise for society, uh, so that's that's what I do. That's that's who I am, and that's that's where I'm coming from with my latest venture, which is this uh, fantastic uh, uh, problem set. I will say around AI. It's one of the problems I saw when I was in government was this this backlog of making use of all the data for the AI algorithms, and at, at a higher perspective, at a bigger perspective that I, I saw that these 
uh, the investors and these businesses were going to be unhappy with their AI implementations without some more fundamental uh, innovation. And that innovation comes from math. It comes from this new math uh, of categorical algebra. Uh, and from that discovery in categorical algebra, we apply it to databases, which then makes data more available to large firms, generally large firms, large organizations, in bringing data to, to their analysis uh, to then make better decisions and, and better business outcomes. Someone recently shared with me uh, that as a lawyer, it's always very dangerous that you should never do math in public because lawyers have to be lawyers have to be careful about that. Um, so perhaps the topic of uh, the new math that you suggest is a topic for another podcast. I'm really I'm much more interested. So we sort of speak generally about the algorithms that are being developed and leveraged and utilized in so many different facets um, of our lives. And, you know, before we started recording, I had asked you a question. And before we talk about how the heck we regulate algorithms, because we can talk about all of the efforts that, you know, uh, lawmakers in 60 countries around the world are still grappling with how to tackle that problem. You suggested that there are some dangers perhaps lurking in AI implementations. And I think that might be a great way to sort of set the stage for what dangers are out there with regards to the work that's being done in AI? And then let's talk about how to try to fix it. Yeah, uh, it, it, these are really a, a rich uh, uh, conversation to be had in, inside of uh, inside of this that we'll you know try to uh, uh, try to try to answer as as quickly as possible. The dangers of AI can most uh, generally be attributed to misunderstanding what it is. Uh, you know, some people say, well, AI is just statistics. That's true. A little more helpfully, you can say AI is an augmentation. That's true. Uh, I like to uh, define AI, but define it in a way that's really useful. And that may not necessarily be the most accurate if you are an AI researcher, but to a lot of people that are just trying to get a, head, a handle on the, a framework that's helpful in thinking about it, I, I find that it's, it's useful to, to be doing, thinking about it this way. AI is, is a system that senses, learns, and then acts, and then learns on the experience. So the sensing can happen from any number of sensors you have uh, around the world. You can think LiDAR on top of your automated car. Uh, you can think of a, a thermometer in your home. You, that then that data is taken from these sensors collected and, and often transformed into a thinking machine. That's kind of traditionally where AI, AI would be. And then it's executed on. So you're sensing, you're planning, and then you're acting. You're acting on that data. The, the car rolling down the road sees a crosswalk. Is, the, is that a shadow or is it a person crossing the crosswalk that's acting on the, on the data? And then learning from the experience. You know, the, the car is not going to spontaneously learn Mandarin, but, you know, the car will learn more and more about a particular intersection. So since plan, act, and then learn from the experience. That's a context, I think, of, uh, of, of AI. You know, if you wanted to be pedantic, you could say that uh, inside of AI, uh, there's a subset called machine learning, a subset of that called deep learning, and then there are non-machine learning AIs. But, you know, that is not... That's not useful for the 99% of us who are not AI researchers uh, day to day. So since Planet Act is a way, I think, of, of talking about AI. 
in the implementations, I, I think what is emerging as useful is for people to be thinking of these as augmentations and automations. So what do you want to automate exactly? You know, there are, there are 18 million computer programmers in the world, and absent some feedback from non-programmers, you know, they will represent their values inside of this computer code, and, you know, with their own little team's incentives to be implementing this computer code. At the, as a nerd who grew up in a basement, you know, playing with computers, I would say that I just like stuff that's, that's cool, and something that's cool is linking these automations. And that's maybe one of the first dangers of these systems is having a tool that automates a function and then because I can, linking that function to another automation. So we, have, we, can, we can imagine these cars going down the road and they right now will give feedback to us as drivers. Uh, warning, there's something ahead. Uh, warning, that's a looks like an outline of the shadow, but the decision is on us. That's, a, that's an example of a circuit breaker where the, these cars are augmenting us. That's, a, that's reasonable. But it, when you start linking these and the car is just making one decision after another after another, uh, that's, where, uh, that's, where, that's where one of the biggest dangers could begin to arise. I'm just going to, I'm trying to translate what you just said into like a, a smaller little nugget. Where you really see some of the potential dangers looking are sort of like, where is that line between are we augmenting our behavior to improve it and create better outcomes versus linking it to sort of displace our, displace that sort of decision-making point, right? Moving it from, whereas I am a decision-maker and if my car is telling me there's a shadow, I use my brain and I either hit the brakes or I don't versus the car making the decision to hit the brakes for you. You know, it's really a level of transparency about where the humans are going to interject their own judgment. So it, it, if, if, my, uh, if my physician told me that I had cancer that then could only be treated with this experimental drug that also had these side effects, that's a kind of linkages of conclusions that I would want broken down. You know, first of all, okay, what, what was the diagnosis? Okay, so... What are the outcomes of the diagnosis? Okay, so what are the what are the characteristics of this drug? Okay, what are the what are the uh, characteristics of the side effects? Like I want that whole sequence to be broken down. Another example would be if I uh, would be looking for a mortgage on a house, I go get a credit report, and that informs an interest rate and a mortgage payment that tell me what range of house I, I could afford. More awkwardly would be a linkage of that system where I just press a button and suddenly the houses that I could afford appear. <laughs> that would be weird. I would want to break that down. Like, wait, how did that happen? You know, was all the data correct? You know, is this, is this probabilistic or de deterministic? Like, how, how did that happen? That's, that's a linkage of a system. And, you know, those are funny I I examples, but it becomes kind of less funny when the consequences are really high. You know, it's like a house is high, yeah. but, but it could, some of these decisions could be life and death. Or, or really change the Certainly. outcome of a person's life. And, and so that linkage of those, those automation systems is the first place that people get in danger of thinking about and regulating uh, artificial intelligence. Um, well, I think it comes down to the, ethic, right, to the ethics of it and the ethical use of AI. And I know there was, you know, for a period of time, I think the industry, e even in and of itself, struggled with how to define 
the ethics of, you know, the use of AI and machine learning for exactly those reasons. At what point, at what point do we, are we forced and do ethics necessitate us to make sure that it is broken down so individuals like you or I have the choice of whether or not to, you know, put our foot on the brakes or have the choice of whether or not, you know, we're going to uh, utilize a certain credit product, something like that. You know, I'm but really frustrated with some of these ethics conversations because there's, there's uh, it's a, it's a super uh, uh, easy, proverbial low-hanging fruit uh, that has yet to be clearly addressed because there's so much to address uh, that we that we have these twenty point lists instead of really addressing the top three. You know, w- one the so, biggest one. Wait, so Eric, Eric, we have the time right now to do that. What? Tell me what the low hanging fruit is. <laughs> so the first one, the first one we're talking about right now, which is stopping with the linkage of automation or be conscious about it. Another way of talking about it is have circuit breakers. So break up the automation links. Be really clear what you want to automate and then and then break that up. Have the circuit breakers, have humans uh, uh, you know, clearly interject, did this turn out uh, how I expected it to turn out? So have a, have a circuit breaker. That's the first thing. The, the second is have audits. You know, does that system do what I expected it to do. You did work for the government. I can tell because you just said the word audit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, in this case, it would be my technologist. Right? The, technology, the, the great thing about these systems is that they can speed up some previously manual systems. They're often work that we didn't want to do as people. We can take a little bit of that substantial efficiency gain and put it towards people overseeing what the data model, what that algorithm actually does. Did it do what I intended over a set period of time? You know, people, I think, aren't, they're a little afraid in some cases of, of spending the appropriate amount of time declaring what the data model should output and then testing did the data model uh, output what, what was intended. So that's the... Any- so one of the dangers that I've spoken with others on the show about before in terms of the dangers lurking in AI implementations often comes in the form of bias, either gender bias or racial bias in, in outcomes for artificial intelligence. There have been sort of, there have been, you know, studies noted with regards to, you know, financial services products, facial recognition products, and the bias that exists in the data that is being used to feed the algorithm. Any sort of thoughts, uh, any newer thoughts on bias? The, the, the parts of bias that are really uh, unaddressed, because the, the, the gender bias, the, the, the racial bias are really uh, unaddressed, is we'll say the, the first derivative of the bias, which is the bias of the bias, in that uh, the nature of politics is that we are making choices as a society about where we are going to bias our, our regulation. Some people are helped, some people are harmed. And the kind of the, the nature of politics, like really what politics is, is it's a, it's a conversation about the allocation of resources. And that, that is a give and take, you know, over time among different groups. So I think what's often missing in that conversation about bias is just the, the meta conversation about the degree to which this is, this is politics itself 
because we, when you're going to address bias, and, so, and all, in, in all those cases, there are some very good examples of some, uh, of some real uh, 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 breaches some, of justice. Some pretty outlying egregious examples. There are, I mean, there are, you're saying, yes, there are outlying uh, egregious examples. Sure. Yeah, they're terrible. The, uh, uh, the, but then the co correcting for them itself has a bias. I know I, you can't, that people just have to be aware of that. Every time they say, we're going to correct for the bias, well, okay, what's the bias in correcting for the bias? There's another bias that's often uh, not appreciated and not mentioned because it's just a lot harder. There's a bias of actually excluding data. So right now, I, I, we're, our, our company, Connexus, is working with a client about ESG reporting, environmental, you know, environmental responsibility uh, yep. uh, uh, record keeping. And we find that there's a bias in how the data is collected from developed countries versus the data is collected from developing countries. It could be the quality of the data, it could be the frequency of the data, it could be just the, the, uh, the, the, the volume. Uh, in any particular way, that could bias our decision for or against deserving parties that otherwise are trying to do, we'll say, the responsible thing. That's a type of bias. That's a very, that's very real. Are you, are you, you know, satisfying the regulations of uh, accommodating uh, environmental sensitivities by collecting more data and, there, and that coming from developed countries? Is that the right thing to be doing? That's a type of bias uh, in these conversations. So as a result, of I think several of the issues, including the political ones that I think you very rightly acknowledge. Um, there was an interesting article published in Wired magazine uh, last fall, I think it was October-ish, um, where uh, that discussed the White House's uh, Office of Science and Technology Policy developing principles to guard against powerful technologies with input from the public, sort of like this what, what are they calling it? An AI, a, a bill of rights for an AI powered world. And sort of all of the new rights that individuals like you and I, as individual humans, should have with regards to our data, particularly because our data now in an AI powered world is feeding every single one of these algorithms with every, with every purchase we make, with every click uh, of our mouse on, on a web browser. Um, any thoughts about a new Bill of Rights for an AI-powered world? I, I first of all have to uh, compliment my colleagues. The, the OSDP, it's colloquially known as the Science Advisory Group to the President, uh, is uh, a terrific group of people. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the people with I worked with there, and I know many of the people that are currently doing it, uh, uh, doing, doing good work there, including the newly uh, established uh, artificial intelligence office uh, within the OSTP. So, oh, you beat I, me to it. You beat me to it, Dr. Eric. <laughs> I was going to get there. It's okay. It's okay. So I, I'm a fan of, of, of their work. I will say that the, uh, the way that's going to evolve is that uh, we will all need to be uh, understanding AI more in order to, uh, uh, in order to have the best regulation uh, possible. You know, one of the pieces of, of work they're, they're trying to do is have a conversation with the public about AI. You know, we were very sensitive, and you see this sensitivity continuing, 
uh, about just imposing some degree of regulation. They're trying to have a conversation, not just with the big tech companies, but, but also with the general public about what's important in the implementation of these new technologies, whose outcomes we don't, uh, uh, don't fully appreciate today and, and we can't really know uh, uh, deep into the future. Another part of this is, you know, what will really be uh, 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 enabled by these or what, what technologies uh, may emerge that even allow us to talk about them. These regulations are often written uh, without, without regard to how we're going to be enforcing them. You know, so there are laws on the books today that prohibit the collection of data from children. And yet, there is no... 100% proof of uh, a company conforming or not conforming to uh, those regulations. It's just that the technology is very difficult. Even well-meaning companies that, that really know the ethics of this issue and, and mean to conform to them cannot guarantee that data is not leaking from devices and being sent up uh, uh, to some auction. Uh, uh, to be to be exchanged uh, with with data that they that they shouldn't have access to. That happens. Sounds right now. like so for my lawyer friends out there. It sounds like fertile ground for the plaintiff's bar. So that right? is happening. Because, yeah, and that and that is yeah. happening right now. That there are, so there are there are class actions in progress uh, uh, exposing apps that are leaking data, uh, uh, even ones that are well-meaning, despite the ones that are that are not. Uh, that that's one big part of it. There's, there's, another, um, uh, uh, there's another big expression that's going to be coming out from this math of categorical algebra. Our company, Connexus, is, is just one software expression of categorical algebra. This math actually allows for these definitive proofs uh, to be established. It formalizes uh, how data relationships are uh, exchanged. Uh, and offers that sort of 100% assurance. That, that math, that technology, it will be expressed in other ways and will, uh, will help enable some of these well-meaning regulations that the OSTP uh, is now uh, confronting. One more thing, you know, the, the way to regulate this that's not caught in the EU regs or anything I've seen uh, so far in Washington is the is is the separation of a data model from the data now this is both for the regulations and for the bias conversation so when we talk about the the these regulations in general uh, we often conflate those two things and that's really a first place to start you know companies will understand this but it's often not distinguished uh in governments you know so the the data would be things like you know my eye color my height, uh, uh, th that's data. Or, or, or for Delta Airlines, it would be, you know, wh what it, what's my home airport? The data model would be, how does my flight from uh, uh, San Francisco SFO to New York JFK relate to uh, the, the frequency with, with which I uh, then might take a, a shuttle to Boston? You know, that's a data model. There are, there's data and then there's data model. And then how they determine whether or not I'm a frequent flyer deserving of some sort of special privileges. That's a data model. That's special to uh, Delta. The, the distinguishing of the data and the data model, the biases, how you want to regulate those is, is a first place to start about how you're actually going to regulate these algorithms. 
Where's the right fit for the case for synthetic data sets in, in sort of the world that you're talking about, particularly for training models? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're obviously a big company scale a AI <laughs> thinks that they, they are going to be a, a, a big part of our future. And for applications such as in uh, autonomous vehicles, you know, they are uh, uh, becoming quite useful. Uh, but there's an argument to be said that, uh, you know, even uh, uh, several billion data points are not enough in the paradigm of test and fail to, to satisfy the level of safety that we would expect from some of these critical systems. The, uh, the solution ultimately is going to reside in, in something else. And there's two places to go with this. Uh, one is in the math. So the, the math of categorical algebra which is really going to be the math of the 21st century. I think many, many lawyers will be maybe happy to know that uh, uh, you know, calculus is probably on its way out. It's probably going to become the Latin uh, of, the, of the mathematics world, uh, along with trigonometry and geometry. Uh, we'll say calculus is on the way out, and what, what's coming in to replace it is going to become statistics, probability, type theory, and this categorical algebra. This category. I don't know if lawyers will be excited about it. I think my 11 year old might be excited about it. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you may say the more math, the better for an 11 year old. But if I were to choose, I would choose uh, statistics, probability, and, and category theory over uh, calculus, trig, and, and geometry. It's, uh, it has its place, but it's going to become like Latin. It has its place. The place to go in, in implementing this is that you have to have these definitive proofs. And those definitive proofs uh, is, is what the future holds. So Boeing, for an example, you know, they had a particular liability from being able to have formal methods to find the safety of systems. But, but what, what this new math allows for is it allows for a similarly formal, foolproof way of integrating systems. And that makes for a safer airplane. That's the other way of uh, excuse me, that's one way of having this future and the way we solve uh, for, for what we're talking about in the regulation. The other part is that we ultimately will need to make a judgment call. We'll need to make, make a human values judgment about uh, where we want the blame to be placed. So when an autonomous car uh, does confuse a shadow for a person or, or a tumbleweed, who is to blame? Is the manufacturer to blame? Is the driver to blame? Is the programmer of the software to blame? We as a society I, will ultimately have to make that choice. I, I know. I mean, the lawyers just want to know who to sue, right? We, 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 just, we just need to know who's on the other side of that V. I'm, I'm being a little bit glib. Um, so, okay. We've, I think, had a very interesting discussion so far. But I think right now we're going to get to the actual question of, of how. So what we know now is that in the United States, there are agencies within our government, the Food and Drug Administration, DOT, who have all been working to incorporate AI considerations into their regular regulatory regimes. I even think it was late 2020 um, where the Trump administration's uh, Office of Management and Budget were actually encouraging agencies to consider what regulatory steps might be necessary for AI, even though under the Trump administration, they wanted a much lighter touch uh, through, those, through those regulating uh, bodies. But since then, in the Biden administration, 
there have been very clear policymaking signals, at least to me, and the pace of change is definitely picking up. The FTC published sort of their famous, uh, widely noted blog post and have started rulemaking processes uh, on the use of AI for discrimination, fraud, and related data misuse that falls under its purview under the FTC Act. And then I know HUD has also begun reversing a Trump administration rule that effectively sort of shielded uh, housing uh, housing related algorithms from any claims of discrimination. So we've got that agency doing that. The EEOC already announced its plan to launch an initiative on enforcing uh, uh, hiring and workplace protections against, you know, potential AI discrimination. Uh, so everywhere you look, you know, whether we're talking about housing or transportation, employment, and certainly financial services, but everyone on the show has heard me talk about financial services, AI, ad nauseum. So I'm going to spare them today. You're welcome, everyone. Every single corner of our government is looking at how AI is, is affecting it and wants to draft rules about it. How? Dr. Eric Daimler, how do we regulate an algorithm? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'd like to I talk. Need, you have nine minutes to solve this problem for us <laughs> on this show. I'd like to talk to every one of those uh, of, of those lawmakers because the, the the one that makes me laugh the most is the the city of New York uh, uh, offered up a law that, that I, I the city the, the city of New York is is special for many reasons and not the least of which is what I think what you're about to say. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, they they offered up a law. There's a little there's a little the, you know the city supervisors is what we call them in San Francisco uh, offered up a law. Uh, regulating the the review of resumes, uh, and that if that was an automated system, they would have to be disclosed. <laughs> that was just so beautiful in its ignorance of the technology. Uh, it really has to just be posted up uh, uh, somewhere permanently as a as a cautionary tale of overreach. Uh, that that uh, you know, this is gets to my fundamental uh, issue about understanding AI. Uh, you know, Megan Smith, with whom I worked in the Obama administration, she would always say, you know, everybody has to be on the field. Uh, we need everybody involved in the conversation around AI. And, you know, President Obama, he, uh, you know, he famously has a, uh, an oval-shaped rug or had an oval-shaped rug in his oval-shaped office. And, you know, around the outside was a, was a quote that's often attributed to Martin Luther King, which is, says uh, uh, that... Uh, you know the long arc of history. The longer uh, history bends towards justice. Yeah, the long, yeah, the long arc of history bends towards justice. But he often reminded us the additional phrase, "Not without our involvement." Not without our involvement. So that that relates to how we talk about AI and the regulation of AI. So the first answer to that question is how to regulate an algorithm. It starts with our involvement in our conversations because we'll ultimately have to make value judgments uh, like we, we talked about with autonomous cars about who we want uh, to be liable uh, in, in what circumstances, who's, who's being responsible and who's being uh, irresponsible. You know, I can, I can say that there's often many more mistakes here uh, uh, beyond just those made by the lawmakers. You know, right now we are all part of Tesla's beta test. You know, whether we like to or not, when we cross the street with Teslas on the road, uh, we are at risk of being hit by one of those cars and uh, uh, 
uh, full autonomous mode misreading us for a tumble read uh, and, and breaking too late uh, and hitting us. We're all part of that beta test. And, uh, you know, something well, I, then I know exactly who to sue. His name is Elon yeah. Musk. Yeah, I know right. exactly who to sue then. Well, who, yeah, who's being irresponsible? I mean, is it the driver <laughs> or is it Tesla? Uh, uh, you know, Elon Musk then says uh, he's going to sick his, his fanboys on, uh, you know, whoever tries to, to criticize him in in his early implementation of that so by the way you know you know who's going to end up being responsible whoever the insurance companies decide is going to end up being responsible i actually think that the hypothetical that you maybe not hypothetical but the case that you just posed is actually a fascinating one for the insurance and reinsurance world um and how they are going to go about writing policies uh on those activities that involve a lot of these new technologies and whether and you know assessing where where that human in intervention actually uh makes an impact versus not and the underwriting of those policies is going to be another i think uh, mathematical exercise <laughs> actually it is and that's maybe a a, a nice uh place to go is uh, my, my firm Connexus actually works with some insurance and reinsurance companies to, to work with this data problem that they have. The, the complexity of their contracts is, is actually now becoming a problem in keeping up with their business ambitions because uh, they, they, the world is changing uh, every year. You know, two years ago, we didn't know there could be a pandemic. You know, a, a year ago, we didn't know there could be a siege on the Capitol. So, you know, those new things need to be written into policies. Uh, 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 that then impair their ability to do risk management and write claims, you know, process claims. Because then you have this wildly, increasingly heterogeneous set of documents that, that need to be reconciled uh, uh, with some frequency in order to make better risk management decisions uh, and business operations decisions. And so that's what uh, we're working with because of this uh, discovery in math. It's kind of a, maybe a funny thing to say is equate insurance companies uh, with uh, insurance contracts uh, with the discovery in math and databases. But yeah, that's what we do. Insurance companies absolutely uh, will be making that decision. And, and we're I was going to gonna, I was be like, it's going to be their call. I, I, I truly believe that. In your autonomous vehicles scenario, it's going to be whatever the insurance companies say. And because they're going to be the ones footing the bill to fight it in court for, for the first time that ever happens. Um, so... Any sort of closing thoughts on, you know, I, I guess maybe this is a great question to end on. For all of the wonderful opportunity there is for uh, really valuable use cases for the use of artificial intelligence, what do you think is blocking AI from really fulfilling that global promise? You know, I think AI, uh, uh, it, it's easy to say, could be either the, the utopia uh, uh, of our dreams or the dystopia uh, of Hollywood. Uh, and, and where it follows, that, that's a type of lazy thinking to, to put, put it in one of those extremes. And where it follows in the middle is really determined by our, uh, our involvement. I, I think the biggest issue with AI is what's emerging from those people that are not dogmatic about the sexiness of deep learning and the algorithms involved in, in deep learning, from which there's 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 uh, there's much to be said about uh, about that technology. Uh, there is this blockage 
of the interaction of data resources. The, you know, the, the, the term uh, big data is kind of old. It's become a little outdated, uh, even hackneyed. Uh, and the reason is because uh, everybody's gotten the memo about collecting data. Companies have certainly collected a lot of data in order to put it into their AI systems. But there's been a type big. of overinvestment yeah. in the wrong part of the stack to make that pay off. Because there's been a concomitant explosion, a quadratic explosion in the number of data sources. So call it the Internet of Things or, or what have you. Those data sources with the quadratic explosion combined with the, the quadratic explosion in the data has a just incomprehensible uh, uh, explosion in data relationships. And it's in those data relationships that every brain breaks down prior to even being able to use some of the very sophisticated algorithms uh, available to us. That's the, that's the big hang-up. Where regulation plays a part is in uh, it needing to be very clear about what needs to happen. And the, the beautiful thing about having a, a legal training right now is that there is a confluence, I see, between what's going to be required in the math of categorical algebra, kind of the 21st century math, and what lawyers are trained to do, which is the, uh, the formalization of, of, a, of a heuristic, of a sequence. That, you know, tell me exactly what you want to have happen, in, and then tell me exactly what you want to have happen after that is something lawyers can be very comfortable with. Engineers, the same. Accountants, maybe the same. That sort of formal training is what is going to be required all over organizations and what is going to fundamental to how we think uh, about the implementations of automation systems, artificial intelligence systems uh, over the next decade. All right, Eric, um, we've covered so much ground today. Last and final thought that you have for our listeners. You know, taking back to uh, how we started this conversation when you said that uh, lawyers don't like to do math out loud, because you said, uh, you we, know, or that we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We're discouraged. We're, we're living <laughs> right, right now during the time where Justice Breyer has re uh, announced his retirement. And I can, I can say from firsthand experience, that guy uh, can do math out loud. Uh, you know, he, he and I had, were uh, having a one-on-one -on -one at a dinner party that I thought was just going to be a friendly social exchange. And he started hitting me on questions about conditional probability. I mean, that's, that's not something my math friends would talk about at a dinner party, or maybe they would, but, but that guy has a special sort of mind uh, uh, and, and, and is a tribute to the, the legal profession and is at least a counterexample to lawyers being able to do uh, math out loud. That's, that's the last thing I can leave Wow, that's, that's, some, that's some next level lawyer impressive, but that's why he <laughs> sat on the Supreme Court and I'm sitting here hosting a podcast. I. Uh, <laughs> It'll be really interesting to see uh, who ends up taking his seat. There'll be no shortage of, of political drama surrounding that to be sure. as well. Dr. Eric Daimler, thank you so much for, for joining us for today's episode. I definitely want to stay in touch, want to hear about all of the interesting things that Conexus is uh, continuing to work on. And most importantly, you know, if you made an excellent point about sort of the discussion and education with lawmakers and those that are charged with ultimately making sort of these ethical decisions on behalf of all of us as a society, and then also putting pen to paper 
and writing it so that it actually makes sense from a practical standpoint. So if you ever get bored, I'm sure that there are going to be a number of delightful Washington lobbyists who would love to have you on their staff as they go knocking on doors through Capitol Hill uh, as everyone tries to, you know, push what they believe is is right from an educated standpoint. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.